Thanks for that, Abby. Appreciate you coming to our rescue here this morning. All righty. Good morning. Nice to see you. Don't you just love this weather? Boy, it's just glorious out there. Got up this morning, 11 degrees. Oh, Esther, I'm sorry. You're, you're like really mad at me right now about that weather, aren't you? Okay, I don't control the weather. I just appreciate when God sends good weather like we're having today. Told uh, Dave there, I said, the only thing that could make this better if it was snowing and some ice and a few other things out there and a, and a good fireplace and a good book to read. But then he told me I did all that up at Hill Air Force Base in Utah when I was a young kid. He said, kid, but you were in the Air Force, so you couldn't have been too much of a kid. But anyway, um, yeah, that's cold. A flight line when it's zero with a 20 mile an hour wind, what was it, about 30 below zero out there, David, when you were out there working? Yeah, that's not too fun. There's no question about that. So listen, just real quick, um, a while back we had a lesson that I was talking about the tracks a lot, and I told you that I would get you guys copies of this little trifle. Well, they finally showed up. And so there's some up here and some on the back table, and Patty put some out in the track rack. If you, It's kind of an interesting little read. I didn't read the whole thing to you the other day there, so that's something you can, can get to there. And then as we get started, I guess the, uh, the uh, thing to ask about was how did everything go with the better Bridgeport yesterday? Did anybody, I know you were here, Gary, I seen you, but did anybody else come out to go do any visitations yesterday? Um, I don't think there was a whole lot of door knocking or any of that just because of the weather, but there, there were several people that had assignments to go visit people. And so um, who did you visit with, Gary? I visited with uh, Mark Blue. Mark Blue. Okay. He's, he's visited here two or three times. All right. And, uh, yeah, we got a real good visit. Uh, yeah. He was my, my first visit, and I didn't leave there until 1230. Oh, okay. You had about the same length of visit I had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know everything about him now. Well, that's good. Yeah. So, so that's what the whole thing is all about, getting to know people on a personal level. And, and I think today, part of the lesson today is even talking about people kind of can reject some of this stuff, but becoming friends of these people can uh, go a long way towards getting them in church and getting them, uh, you know, where God would want to have them, where God would want to see them. Now it's their choice what, what happens with all of that, of course. So I got to go visit with uh, Eugene and Jan Canova. We had a we had a, uh, uh, now this was kind of an interesting thing because, now Jeff, you're laughing about that. You know him, right? <laughs> Everybody in this city knows that guy. I, I mean, I can't mention that man's name without there being some story or something. And so I just happened to run, I didn't even know they came to church here. I, I don't know that I've ever met him. And uh, so I happened to run into him the other morning down there at Brandy's having breakfast, which apparently he's there every day, seven days a week from like seven till 10 or something. And uh, um, anyway, I walked in and I was going in there for a meeting I was having with a friend of mine. And he looks at me and he says, hi, how are you? And I says, I'm good. How are you doing, sir? And shook his hand and then sat there for two and a half hours talking to the guy over breakfast. <laughs> and um, uh, anyway he starts describing this wonderful church that he goes to. And I'm thinking, boy, that sounds a whole lot like the church I go to, you know? And, I say, and he talks about Pastor Pugh. 
And I said, well, that's, that is the church we go to. Where, where? So I guess they always sit way in the back back there, and I've just never run across them there or whatever. <clears throat> so yesterday when the visitation list came out, it's like, yeah, I know that guy, and I don't remember ever meeting his wife. And so I went over there, and it was just, uh, it was just a great, fun time. But, but uh, um, had a long, long visit, same with Gary. But the thing got, a, got started off on a very rocky road, okay? Uh, nobody here knew his address, and, and I was told, oh, you, you go to David Moore's house if you get lost, and he knows right where he lives, so he can point you in that direction or whatever. So I came by your house, but I didn't need your help. He had told me, go to, go to the house about eight houses down on Wooten Road on your left, and you're going to find a house where a boat is parked in the, in the uh, vacant lot across the street from it. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? So I go to that house, and, and that house number is 1013 Wooten. And uh, um, so anyway, when I go to the driveway, there's this huge puddle of oil on the, on the driveway there where I figured probably something with an outboard engine was sitting there leaking, so I, it's gotta be the right house, right? <laughs> so I knock on the door, ring a doorbell, and uh, no answer. Knock on the door again. I'm, Man, I'm certain this has to be the place that Gary told me about the boat and all that stuff. You can't go wrong if you're in, if you got a boat in the lot next door. And so anyway, I'm messing around. Finally decide I'm just going to call him up and dial him up. Hey, Eugene, are you home? I'm the guy. He goes, I remember you from over at the breakfast place there and all that stuff. And I says, yeah, I'm right outside your door here and everything. And, and uh, you know, are you guys home or are you out somewhere? He says, no, we're, we're right here at home. And I says, yeah, you're 10, 13, Wooten, right? Yep. Uh, I said, well, okay, I'll pound on the door again. So I'm pounding on the door there again. No answer. And so finally, he calls me back, you know, and he says, where, where are you at anyway? And I said, I'm right outside your front door, and I'm standing right in front of your camera on your, on your house here. He goes, we don't have a camera on our house. <laughs> I said, oh, well, he, he had told me to come in, so I'm fiddling with the door in there. Hey, we don't have a camera. I said, didn't you say your address is 1013 Wooten? He goes, no, I said it's 1019 Wooten. So he's actually, he's actually four houses down from where the boat is parked, by the way, if anybody needs to go over there, and you knew if I'd have come to your house, I wouldn't have gotten arrested for breaking it. Anyway, yeah, yeah. going out on visitations is just great fun. I'll tell you one, I'll tell you one more story just real quick. Up at, um, just, just to, I want to encourage you guys to go out and do this stuff, because it's just, you were supposed to be doing it, and it's just a wonderful thing to be around other Christian people, and sometimes not Christian people, but it can still be a funny story. Up at Cleveland Baptist, we used to go hang these door, door hangers out, right? And uh, uh, one of the ones was, it was, we were having an open house at the church. So the door hangers, when we would just hang them on people's doorknob, one of them had the open house was facing out the wrong way, right? And so people came by and thought the house was an open house and started going into these people's homes to, <laughs> you know. We got a big kick out of all that. That was always a funny story around there. So <clears throat> anyway, encourage you to get out and kind of do some of that stuff a little bit. And I guess the next Better Bridgeport will be, what, a month from now or something is when they, is when they try to do it. It was a little chilly yesterday, but... Oh, okay, every second Saturday. Yeah, it was a little chilly yesterday, but um, people were nice enough to invite you into their homes, and so you didn't have to stand out there in the cold. Anyways, uh, all right. 
uh, we'll have a word of prayer and then we'll get, get started. And I'll recap from last week. Father, thank you for the time that you've set aside here. We thank you for the opportunities we had yesterday to visit with people on the Better Bridgeport Day, Lord. And I'd ask that you'd be with me as I teach here this morning and be with the preacher as he brings us a message here this morning. We love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So on last week's um, lesson here, as we as we got through this, we were talking about Tom Rainer, the author of this book that we're studying through here, about how he had this confidence and uncertainty in his life when he was going through and um, and originally starting up his ministry where he helps people with with running their churches and everything. And that uh, uh, we kind of said that, yeah, we have some uncertainty in what we're doing here with witnessing to people also. Talked about these certain different little patterns that show up in things. And, and um, we mentioned the fact that we should not take a, a people's objections lightly when, when they have an objection to what we're telling because these things are very real concerns to them. And, uh, uh, you know, there was, uh, I was just talking to Kyle Hastings here this morning and and he had a visitation yesterday, and there was some, some reluctance on the people's parts that he was visiting with about coming over here to our church and everything. And you know what? That's just as real as you can get. I mean, these people have different ideas. They've come up differently, come up in different areas of the country and all kinds of different things. So uh, you, you have to, you, have to, you know, take, take their objections uh, seriously. And we mentioned that you are dealing with their eternal salvation when we're dealing, when we're handling their issues here. So uh, deal with their objections with compassion and grace. Uh, mentioned that little story about Tom Rainer's doctor here talking about the day I don't care deeply about my patients is the day I need to retire. And there's a lot of, lot of truth to that. If we get to where we don't have any compassion on the people that we're witnessing to and trying to lead to Christ, you know, you might as well just pack your bag and go do something else because the, the love for these people and the compassion that you have to have for them is, is what will drive you to, to do this, you know. And all, it's all the Holy Spirit's problem anyway after we sow the seed there. Tom Rainer realized they were dealing with a sickness called sin, and then we talked about the great physician Jesus himself and, and what have you. Um, and then we talked about there's, uh, you know, people that think that as long as they do enough good stuff, and it outweighs the bad stuff, the balance of scale, so to speak, that, that those people, that's their way to get into heaven and what have you. And talked about how God is perfect. No sin can come into his presence, and we're all sinners. Every, everybody knows that. Went over the story about the, the three crosses there when Christ was crucified, Luke 23, 39 through 43. We talked about that. Some people have the other objection. They've done too many bad things. They don't think that there's any chance that they could ever get saved from all the nonsense and everything else that they have gotten into over the years. But uh, God can save you from anything. There's not any sin that's too great that God's, uh, that Jesus' blood can't uh, atone for. So, and then we talked about the, that girl Melody in that story with, uh, in, in the book about how she was certain that she was not a, a, uh, a, a Christian. And we read the story about the woman at the well there. And so the, um, uh, the title of that lesson, and we're going to continue with it here today, is Those Pesky Objections. All right? And that's where we're at right now. And so the next objection that you'll hear from people is you'll hear uh, somebody say, yeah, this is all great, but I'll just, I'll think about it later. I'm not really, to, you know, ready right now to step foot into any, anything like this, any commitment like that. And he talks about this fellow that he was in high school with, as a matter of fact. The kid's name was uh, Ryan. 
and he describes him as a big partier, a rebel, you know, kind of always in the trouble and, and all that kind of stuff. And he says he liked his life and didn't want to give up the good times. Well, that's kind of a sad thing when you think about it because uh, there are things in life that are good times. There's no question about that. There's things that we can experience as human beings on this earth that are pleasurable, they're fun, they're interesting, all that kind of stuff. And sometimes those things don't have anything to do with Christianity at all. And as a matter of fact, for a lot of people, it can be exactly the opposite of Christianity. It might be stuff that really probably you shouldn't be involved with. And if you were a Christian, you probably wouldn't have any notion of getting involved in some of the things that people uh, you know, get involved with, alcohol, drugs, adultery, all kinds of different things like this that you can, you can get yourself hooked up in. But uh, this kid didn't want to give up all the, all the good times he's having. Well, I'm here to tell you right now, you can have just as many good times as a Christian in Christian fellowship and doing things that would be pleasing to God as you can have when you're doing things that are pleasing to the devil. And, uh, you know, the Bible uh, talks about that right there. It says there's pleasure in sin, but only for a season. There will be a price to pay at the end of, of all these things. It might be a physical uh, health issue that you have, but certainly at the end of the equation with our lifestyle on this earth, you will meet God and there'll be, you'll be there for a judgment instead of there for righteousness. And so, uh, you know, you, you kind of got to think about this stuff when you're, when you're witnessing to somebody. He completely believed, this, this was confounding, this kid completely believed all the facts of the gospel. He was still unwilling to surrender his life to the Lord. And that surrender is an underline there. He's un, unwilling to surrender his life to the Lord. So there is a certain level of becoming a Christian where you do surrender what you're doing. You say, I want you to be my savior, but the other side of that equation is I also want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to guide and direct me in decisions that I make, how I handle myself, what I say to people, how I, the things that I think about, what I do, what I get involved with, the commitments I make, and all this kind of stuff. And so um, there is an aspect to it that you are, you are surrendering. I've never run across too many people, really, where you hear their their story where they just like they get saved and they are just full-blown 100% surrendered to God. I have run across a few people like that. Sometimes those folks kind of fizzle out pretty pretty quick. But I know my my lifestyle. We've been Christians now since 1998. I'm surrendering stuff to God every day. It seems like you're constantly something else comes up and it's like I got to just turn this over to him. I've got to let him be the Lord of my life here on this thing. And so uh, Patty's in the audience here this morning. She could probably give you a grade about how good I'm doing on all that stuff, as I could her. But the fact of the matter is, is that uh, it is a process. There's a sanctification process that we're, that we're going through here. And so he, he, uh, the author comments, this kid was just gambling with his salvation. He was dependent on a deathbed change of heart. And, and those, those occur also, you know, those things that's I've mentioned many times probably that I'm, I'm hoping that that's what my father realized that was when he was on his deathbed that he had, uh, uh, you know, come to remember what my older brother Pat had told him about Jesus and that maybe there was just one thought that went through his mind about, you know, maybe I do need to trust Christ as my Savior before I take my last breath here. So I have some hope maybe about that, but I'm not, I'm not certain about it. Um, Comments here about how not everyone will be as transparent as Ryan. 
you may be witnessing to somebody like that, 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 that they might have some of these same kind of objections, but just would not be as, it wouldn't be as open when you're, when you're dealing with some other person. And these people all think that they can just make a, um, just make a decision later on in life. But the Bible says that we're not guaranteed, we're not guaranteed our next breath, really. And, and to think that, well, maybe I'll just put that on my, on my day planner and, you know, two and a half months from now on a Sunday, I'm going to just accept Christ as my Savior. Boy, that's really, that's really taking a risk with what you're doing here. It says, objections like these are often difficult to challenge because people with this attitude may actually agree with the truth of the gospel and scripture. They just don't feel the urgency to do anything about it. So um, urgency, that's an underline there. They're typically not open to common sense arguments. And then uh, here's, a, uh, here's a verse that you can share with somebody when it talks about you know, how long somebody may have to make any decision about these sort of things. And it's, it's James 4.14, Where is ye know not what shall be on the morrow? For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Now, we're in the over 60 crowd of people here, right? Would you folks say that time goes by pretty quick? Amen. I can't believe it. I've got a kid that's 30 years old. I've got five grandkids, and I look back on my life, and I just go, where in the world has the time gone? Well, James pretty well sums it up there. It appeareth for a little time, and then it vanishes away like a, like a vapor. It's so, um, the... Uh, uh, you know, life is, life is short. Point that out to folks. You really need to make a decision one way or the other. You don't have to tell them what decision to make. You just need to tell them they need to make a decision. You're, they may even agree with all that, but they're still, uh, they're still willing to gamble with their, with their salvation. Three uncommon responses to this type of objection right here, and this is, this is good. It's uncommon because you don't normally get real far with, with these folks in these conversations if they kind of believe this and they're just not really ready to, to do it at this time, um, is, is pray for the folks. Pray that they'll come to their senses and that conviction will come through the Holy Spirit. Remember, there's our, there's our helper there, the Holy Spirit, right? Amen. He comes along. That's an underline. Listen, when you're out here talking with somebody, no matter how hostile the, the situation can be, and generally speaking, no matter what part of the country even that you're in, if you've got somebody's attention where you've even talked to them that long, if you just say something, would you mind if I just had a word of prayer with you here real quick? Just about everybody will, will uh, agree with that, you know. And uh, uh, you can just set your hand on that person's shoulder and just ask the Lord to bless, bless them. That's all. Go on your way. That's, that's all you have to do. We can pursue a friendship relationship with them. That's always a nice, that's always a nice thing. You, you develop a friendship with somebody, either from a professional standpoint, common interest standpoint, or something along these lines, and, and then you can let your light shine before that person, and, and maybe then they'll see something you know, a little bit different about you, and, and they might want to know what's going on with you. There's a, a little aspect of that in, these, in this uh, lesson here today also. Be prepared. Be prepared for when life shakes their foundation so you can be there to pray for them and share the scripture. All right, so what that's talking about there, we all have things that shake our foundations in life. Christians generally handle those things on a whole different, whole different scale than, than other people do. Um, 
I have been in hospital rooms already with Christians that are literally, they're going to be dead the next day, but they're still coherent enough and they can talk to you and visit and they're just ready to go home and be with the Lord. There's just not a question where they're going. They're confident. They're, they're uh, confident what they've believed and where they're going to end up after, after this life is over, where their soul is going to spend eternity. And, uh, and it's a whole different ball game than a non-Christian who has the same condition show up. And I have been F-bombed right out of a hospital room already with somebody that just did not want to hear the gospel. And then you find out the guy's dead the next day. And, and you know, you just know with that kind of rejection where he's spending eternity now. And it's a sad, it's a sad thing. So you, have, you share the scripture with him, let the Holy Spirit work on him at that point. So another objection you'll hear here, how can a loving God let bad things happen to people? Tom Rainer, his dad, he tells his story in there. He writes about how his dad died when, of cancer when Tom was in his 20s. His dad was his hero and his best friend. He argued with God a lot about his dad's illness. Boy, I've argued with, I've argued with God a lot about a, a whole bunch of different things, you know. Um, and you pray and you carefully consider it and everything, and you get yourself aligned with what God is doing. We're not praying to try to get God to align with what we want him to do, but we get in line with what he wants us to do. Um, he even got mad at God on occasion. Tom's dad had made a remarkable difference in many people's lives. He saw many horrible things in World War II, but continued to fight for his country. This was interesting to find out about his dad here. He was very progressive on race issues and actually stood against George Wallace when he was, the, when he was a, a circuit judge down there in Alabama. You know, George Wallace, that guy later on ran, it became the governor down there on the, on the uh, platform of segregation, you know. Well, he talks about how his, uh, his dad had stood up against him, and he comments about how his dad embraced the African-American community when few whites would go near them. So there's some of that kind of stuff still goes on in our society today. You know, as much as you, you be ashamed of the past and all that kind of stuff, it was part of the history of our country. We've gotten over it. We're moving on. It's not as rampant as it used to be back in the old days. But there still can be a lot of things that kind of parallel that right now. You know, how do you treat the homeless guy out on the street? How do you treat, you know, somebody that you don't particularly disagree or agree with? How do you treat the illegal aliens that are all over in our country right now? There's a certain level of of uh, that that might look at this, you know, you might look at the same sort of thing here. We're trying to do a lot more stuff in Spanish around here with these tracks and a few other things. Even talked a little bit about Spanish ministries here because we've got lots of them folks here in, in Texas. Man, I'll tell you what, when they were building my house, I thought we were building that thing down in, the, in, in, uh, in Mexico somewhere because that's all there was out there working on our house. They did great work. They were good, hard workers and all that kind of stuff. But, boy, you couldn't, you couldn't talk to them much. So it would have been nice to have some tracks to hand out to them that were written in Spanish or something, you know. And then uh, he talks about how uh, uh, his dad uh, just adored Tom, his mom, brother, and, and all this stuff. And so um, the question they had here is, why would God take him from us? And then here's a... The, the concept that he wanted to, to get out here. Theological concept of theos, theodicy from the Greek for justifying God. All right, that's what that word means for justifying God. 
And so the Bible's pretty clear that God's ways are different than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He goes through a whole bunch of different things there about why we don't necessarily have to know why God does anything that he does. As a matter of fact, there are some things that God does that really aren't even any of our business. He, he does things on his time and his, his timeline. And the whole concept of him being able to see the big picture, the outcome of this thing, is very different than our narrow point that we have this finite view of what's going on here and everything. We have to have confidence that he does things for our good, that he does things in the right time to get us to where he wants us to be. And so it's just, it, this, this word the, theodicy is, uh, like I say, just uh, uh, for justifying God. Now, we all understand the, that the, the trouble, the problem that we have here is, is sin. That's what causes all the difficulties. That's what causes us to have different things come up in our life. That's why we have illness. That's why we have just the blanket statement. That's why we have sin. Everybody knows what that's all about there and everything, right? Um, Non-Christians, in a lot of cases, they don't care about any of that stuff. They're, they're not interested in original sin or anything along those lines. They just want God to help out with things. There's an old saying, right? There's no atheist in a foxhole. Yeah, when you're getting shot at, it might not hurt to say a, a, a word of prayer to the Lord to ask him to, to you know, keep you safe in this mess that you're involved with right now. But a lot of, a lot of cases, those atheists in, in the foxhole, as soon as they get out of the foxhole, they go right back to their old ways. They don't really have any, any notion or care anything about God. They don't care about their their personal condition and what they're destined for here. And so that's just, that's just how it is with, uh, that's just how it is with these folks. So how do we handle these kind of things? These situations are indeed challenging when sharing the gospel. Uh, sometimes they can be challenging when you're sharing just about anything that has to do with, with spiritual matters, but particularly sharing the gospel where you're trying to tell somebody, you're a sinner, Here's, here's why you have a need of a Savior. And by the way, here's the Savior. Here's, what, here's who can help you out with this and everything. So they're, they're, it's hard to deal with them. We have to let hurting and questioning people know that we care. You've got to care about people. As we talked about when you're witnessing to folks, make sure that when they start having objections or ask you questions that you actually listen to what they're saying. Don't be a speaker in waiting. Listen to what they say. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. It's kind of a little saying that Patty actually brought that to my attention and we wrote that in there. And that really is the truth. People, if you genuinely have a, a care for them and you put a transparency on that where they know, they'll, they'll listen to what you say. It, and it doesn't, that's, that's, basic, that's just kind of basic human relation kind of stuff there. If people really see that you care about something, they'll listen to the problem that they have with their car, their boat, their refrigerator, whatever. And, 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 but we're talking about something way more serious than that here. People need to see the love of Christ in us before they'll consider accepting Jesus as their Savior. And we can go down a path of explaining original sin and all these things, but at the end of the day, we need to just show these people love and compassion. You've got to have compassion on people. That can be tough. I get it. I understand. It's hard to have compassion on, on everybody. I've had some experiences in my life where within a span of about 10 minutes had compassion on one person and, and wanted to condemn the other two people involved in that scenario. Uh, if I was the guy in charge, they would not be happy right now at the end of their life. 
Any, any uh, or another thing that brings into question is how can a loving God send people to hell? So this, along the same, same line here, first of all, God doesn't want any of us to go to hell. Second Peter 3.9 talks of this right here. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now that's pretty clear that God doesn't want any of us to end up in hell. There's no question about that. He talks about that all, all kinds of different things, gives us all kinds of different things that, you know, guidance about how to go about doing this and, and what have you. As you're sharing this verse, you'll see a reaction from people one way or the other because the Holy Spirit will be working on them. Yep, you share that, you share that verse right there and people can just kind of blow you off and just, well, that's, Whatever, I'm glad that's working out for you there, sir, but, uh, you know, I'm not interested in that. Or you'll see the person will actually maybe even have a question about what, you know, what are you talking about there? What does he mean they don't, he doesn't want, what's that say again? Read that thing to me one more time. What's, what does long-suffering mean? Patience, he's, he's very patient towards us. Uh, not willing, not willing that any should perish. But God gave us a free mind. We have a freedom of choice here when it comes to what's going on with our salvation. So he would really like you to accept him as Savior and end up in heaven, but he's not going to force you into that condition there. All right. Holy Spirit will be working on him. And you can also read him. John 3.16 shows how much God really does love us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And uh, that verse, uh, I've seen several different places where that verse is the most widely recognized verse of any verse in the Bible. You know, people hold it up on signs at football games and all kinds of stuff. I used to think those people were just whacked out before I knew what John 3.16 actually meant. I'm like, what in the world? What's that, the number of the guy they're rooting for or something? Out there? <laughs> I didn't know they had that many numbers on their jerseys. But anyway, I understand exactly why someone would hold that sign up now. So this is a very positive side of these objections, and they can open many doors to gospel pathways. All right. Then the next thing here, there are many ways to get to heaven or God. All right. Everybody knows Oprah Winfrey, right? Yeah, our old buddy Oprah. There, yep. Lover or hater, one or the other. But she is on many, many occasions, and, and this guy has got footnotes about, he, he's not, not allowed when you're writing a book, I, you can't quote somebody without giving them credit down at the bottom of the page or in the back of the book or whatever. But she's on many occasions has, has told people, people that, yeah, there's all kinds of different ways to get to God. You know, you don't have to go through any religion, you don't have to go through any one person, you don't have to do any of this kind of thing. Um, Oprah will be in for a big surprise when at the end of her life she finds out that there really is only one way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. And so uh, uh, I hope somebody gets to her and, and saves her and, or you know, tells her about Christ and she gets saved. She's a big friend of uh, J.D. Yakes or Takes or J.D. something, one of these big preachers around here that just preaches. I, I've, I didn't know who it, who it was, and so I watched some videos of this guy, and he just espouses the same kind of nonsense, but, but they do it along the same lines as, as a Baptist preacher would, would do it, you know? 
but they're, they're telling people the wrong thing. They're sending people straight to hell if you think that there's more than one way that you can get to God. Anyway, that shouldn't surprise us. You know, cultural icons make these kind of claims because, after all, uh, they don't want to offend anybody. They don't want to offend their audience. You know, if she got on her, her radio program or her TV program, or I don't even know if she's in business anymore. I've never, ever actually watched her, her thing. But... Uh, um, if she got on there and said, you know what, I had a revelation here, folks, and I found out that Jesus Christ really is the only way that you can get to heaven, her audience level would probably go right down the drain. You know, and heaven forbid that that could, should happen. Um, our society has difficulty with the doctrine of exclusivity. We've talked about that, specifically that Jesus is the only way to go to heaven. No exceptions whatsoever there. And then um, uh, this is the very heart of Christianity. Jesus himself made this claim, John 14, 6 through 7. Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. So he pretty much comes right out there and says, look, I'm the guy, I'm the one. I'm the only way to do this, and by the way, I am God, so I know exactly what I'm talking about, about how this is all going to work, and, uh, and there you have it. For many non-Christians, exclusivity is not only a stumbling block, it is actually offensive to them, and, and, and I, I know that. I know that personal experience with that very thing from witnessing to my Catholic family. It, it just that, it's just that simple. They put their faith and trust and hope on all kinds of different things as far as the sacraments that the Catholic Church puts out for them, but they don't get the idea that you just have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and it can happen in a, two minutes. You can, you can have somebody lead you to Christ. You believe it with your heart. You believe what the Bible says about this. Pray and ask the Lord to, to save you, and he'll do it. They look at us as we're very narrow-minded. Yeah, we are narrow-minded. We know that there is one way to do it. <laughs> there, there's, not any, there, there's not anything narrow-minded about that. It's just the truth. Exclusivity is the exact opposite of inclusivity. Yep, everybody's got to be inclusive now, right? We've got 300 people out there running a race. One person is going to cross the finish line ahead of everybody else, and that's the winner. That's the person that ought to get the trophy or the reward or the whatever. But we have to give out to the other 299 people. They have to have something, too, because we've got to include everybody. Yeah, well, that's not really how this works. It's an exclusive club. People that know Christ as their Lord and Savior are the ones that go to heaven. Everybody else goes to someplace else that's not nice. And, and so it's an exclusion. That's how it works. This debate is not very likely to be won. People either believe it or they don't. So if you get somebody that's starting to just really argue with you back and forth about that. Bible talks about dusting your shoes off, right? Kick the dust off, leave the city. Don't cast your pearls before a swine. Don't, don't, don't get into these, not, these intellectual, crazy arguments and discussions with people about things that you know to be the truth and what they're doing is just bringing up a bunch of nonsense. When witnessing, be very careful to point out Jesus' words in John 14, 6. That's, he's the way, the truth, and the life. Point out that they're not disagreeing with you, but with Jesus Christ himself. 
Now, I don't want to be in an argument where I'm disagreeing with Jesus. <laughs> I just don't want to have an argument like that with him. Jesus is either telling the truth or he's a liar, unworthy of our faith. That's the choice we all have here. And then you've got, uh, then you've got this next objection here. I believe in God. Yeah, everybody believes in God, right? All, all kinds of people. Yeah, there's a God. We, we don't, no question about that. Sounds good on the surface here. Seems to be a pretty positive thing. But they don't really believe in the one true God revealed in the Bible through the person of Jesus Christ. Therein lies the problem. Yeah, there can be all kinds of gods. Everybody has gods. Everybody has somebody that they're worshiping. Somebody, sometimes they may pray. I talked to, here a little while ago, some uh, woman that I witnessed to, one of my coworkers was, was talking about, she was trying to learn how to, how to pray, but didn't even know who to pray to. So there's always, a, there, and, and you don't want people like that to get off on the, wrong, on the wrong path for sure. But they don't really believe in the one true God revealed in the Bible through Jesus. Remember what it says in John 14.7, if, if ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Many people will say that they believe in God, but what they mean is that they believe in a God. A God. Little g. How they view their God depends on many factors, but it's obviously not the same God. Their gods are based on man's view of, of these things. So man-made stories, tales, all kinds of different things that, that people go down. And you can look at all kinds of different faiths that are out there. And when you look at whatever the thing is that the people are worshiping or putting their faith and trust in, you go, that's a man-made thing because that's not what the Bible is talking about. Their God is based on man's views. If the standards or the conditions that their God sets for them is palatable, then they go along with it. Our God is not always so pal palatable. Yeah, if, if boy, if you, if you listen to, um, if you go out there and listen for 20 minutes to our old buddy Joel Olstein, the way that he preaches and stuff, that is a very palatable God that he's preaching. Boy, you just go out there, smile. One guy calls him Smiling Joel, right? And, and uh, we, we had a friend of ours up in Cleveland. He could do an invitation to this guy. You'd think you were in the room with Joel Olstein when, when he was talking like this. But uh, the fact of the matter is, is that um, Joel, even by his own admission in interviews that I've watched, because I've wondered about the guy, and, and I've, I've seen a couple of things about him that was positive, where his, I guess his dad was really a pretty... Uh, pretty prominent preacher, and Joel says, I'm not a, I'm not a preacher. I'm kind of almost like a, just a pep talk kind of guy that I use scripture to do the, and I said, well, that pretty much sums it up, but that's not how he's acting when he's on his TV program. He acts like a preacher, and this guy asked him, he says, are you supposed to be telling people about their sin, and he says, um, he says no, we don't really feel like we need to tell people. People know that they're sinners. People don't know that we're sinners. We don't, I, I didn't know I was necessarily a sinner until I started reading through the Bible and looked in that mirror and said, boy, that's you. That's you, Jeff. You need to know what you're, what you're doing here. So anyway, uh, palatable. Sometimes our, our God's not so palatable. Our God has standards. Our God has things that he says you're supposed to do. And here's what happens if you don't do them. And here's the things you're not supposed to do. And here's what happens when you do those things. And so, um, yeah, sometimes it's not very nice. Sometimes I have things that God tells me through the scripture where I just look at it and I go, I don't like that. I really, I just, I think I'm going to turn the page. I'm going to turn three pages right now instead of just over to the next page because I don't like what this is saying right now. Dealing with the objections of the deity of Christ is similar to dealing with the objections of the doctrine of exclusivity. 
we have an opportunity in every case to simply point to the scripture. Mention to the person you're witnessing to that they're not rejecting your words, but the words of Christ. And we're going to stop there because we're just about out of time here. So anyways, any questions, comments, concerns? Nobody have anything? All right, we'll have a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll get out of here. Father, thank you for the time that you've set aside here this morning. We appreciate you allowing us to discuss your word here. I'd ask that you'd be now with Preacher as he brings us a message here this morning, Lord. Help us to soften our hearts and our minds here to be receptive to the words and to look into applicability for our lives. We love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys.